Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion about rewiring your brain and how understanding your brain will help you fully live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. And while we're getting the room set up and pinging people, I would love to take this opportunity, if you don't mind, Christina, which I know you won't, to say a happy early 25 years of sobriety to you, Christina. I know that's coming up on Friday. And I'll probably talk to you before then, but I was just thinking about that and thinking how blessed we are to have you lead this space for us. And 25 years of sobriety is amazing and you're such an inspiration. So I just wanted to share that and share that with everybody that's here so far. And we'll, I'll probably mention it again, just so that we can flood Christina with love. So thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you. What a, what a nice thing um, to hear and to and to be part of and it's so interesting um you know when we are in recovery i wrote an entire piece about celebrating those milestones and really sharing it for everyone including myself and it's um it's been an amazing 25 years i have to say it really has been and part of that has been being part of these kinds of discussions. And so I'm gonna go ahead and open up the room officially. Thank you to everyone who's here. Um, if you would like to share it on Clubhouse, we know that it lets people know that the room has started and uh, reminds them in case they usually are here. You are in Recovered Life, Recovered Life Discussions, Rewire Your Brain. My name is Christina Dennis. I'm a recovery coach. Uh, with an expertise in breaking codependent patterns and my co-mod Deanna. Good morning, Deanna. Thank you for being here. And we are right smack in the middle of uh, a a book study, basically, um, about Atlas of the Heart, which is Dr. Brene Brown's latest book. Um, It came out in February and it's been amazing. And just to give you some ground rules, this recording is rebroadcasted. So hopefully uh, you will feel comfortable sharing because it is a discussion and we really wanna hear from everybody. Uh, But also we use first names only. Um, And you can use my last name, but everybody else first names and please show respect and kindness in your comments. We are jumping back in the second half of the chapter in, in Deanna with the hard copy, I was hoping that you could reread the emotions and we can pick off pick up where we left off last week. We had such an amazing discussion about belonging and fitting in. And I would love for you to kind of talk about the name of the chapter and the different emotions that we will be discussing today. My pleasure. So we are on chapter nine of Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown's book, but you do not have to be reading this book to get great value out of this conversation. Number on chapter nine, we are discussing places we go when we search for connection, belonging, fitting in, connection, disconnection, insecurity, invisibility, and loneliness. 
Wow, those are some big ones. And um, like Deanna said, you do not have to be reading the book or even be in some of the other discussions to get value out of this. You know, the premise of the book is that Brene Brown takes 96 emotions or thought patterns, some of them are cognitive processes, and she really brings the data, drilling it down so that we start to learn more about ourselves. Um, of course, the name of the room is Rewire Your Brain, but we learn how to rewire our brain and learn how to change our brain by understanding our feelings. And so last week we had an amazing conversation about the difference between belonging and fitting in. And we touched a little bit on disconnection. And I was hoping we could pick up where we left off uh, talking a little further about disconnection. I can tell you in my recovery program, I was completely disconnected prior to showing up in a community. I, I literally was the loneliest that I'd ever been in a room full of 100 people. And every time I drank alcoholically, um, I would disconnect from not only others, but myself, all the while wanting to be fully accepted and wanting to have a place of belonging and wanting to feel like I was comfortable. And I'm going to go ahead and tell Deanna, send out some invites because I want people to get up here right away um, and share your stories and your thought processes about these different concepts uh, and this data. But one thing that struck out to me, stuck out to me in the reading was the pain that's attached to disconnection. And I thought that we would start the conversation right there. Um, disconnection is really an interesting uh, idea because I think that we have this uh, whole uh, pursuit of autonomy and independence, and yet, um, and yet some of the behaviors that we take uh, and adopt in order to be independent can leave us feeling disconnected. And if anybody is, you know, not sure exactly what that feels like, disconnection is social rejection, social exclusion, and social isolation. And it's incredibly painful. Current neuroscience says that the pain of disconnecting is as real as physical pain. And one thing I didn't know before reading this book was that it shares the same neural pathways of the feelings of physical pain. And just as we would describe to a physician or a professional what was physically hurting us, we need to have the um, language around disconnection. And I want to stop right there and see, thank you, Kathy, thank you, Anne, for coming up. Who, um, who else uh, on the speaking stage has felt that, uh, whether, whether you are in recovery or prior to recovery, the pain of disconnection? Deanna? I was going to let Kathy go because she's flashing her mic, but I'll just go right ahead. Um, I feel the pain of disconnection like intensely in in my gut. I feel it in my gut. Um, and specifically for me, it's the it's the disconnection with my family. And actually, I'm pretty connected with my family, but the pain, I know it's something I have to work on because the pain is a lot and it causes me to act out in ways I don't like. So um, yeah, I'd love to hear from Kathy and Anne about the feeling of disconnection. 
this is uh, weirdly apropos for me. I, I feel very disconnected this weekend. I uh, I didn't phone anybody and nobody phoned me this weekend. And I found that jarring. I have a friend that's going through a uh, medical procedure. She has to have a hip replacement uh, quite soon. She's very young for, for that kind of thing. And she doesn't want to talk right now. She wants to process it. So I'm not included in her thought process, which, you know, on paper is fine, but I, I'm used to being that. And I, I have felt very uh, disconnected from a lot of things. And some of it is because I've disconnected myself. I took a little kind of clubhouse break because I was finding it difficult to empathise with people. And I think people always think I'm... I'm cool and I can look after myself. And yes, I can. I can. Um, because at the end of the day, you have to. But I'm also feeling a bit disconnected. I'm feeling a bit for disconnected, maybe read isolated and and useless right now. My, my normal roles, because I'm working on my codependency, my normal fallbacks aren't... Um, aren't coming into play like they normally do. So I've, I feel very disconnected from myself at the moment. And it is a physical pain. I, I've been sat moping today um, like a teenager who's broken up with somebody. J j you know, it's that kind of visceral, primal pain um, that I'm feeling at the moment. I feel close to tears. I feel, yeah, all, all, all the things, all the bad things. I, I don't like it. Um, and I need to, I need to get over, I need to sit in the feelings for a bit because they're not going to dissipate, but I, I need to get to the bottom of, of why I'm feeling like this. I, I think I have, I think I know, but I need to get there and, and vocalize it and compartmentalize it and intellectualize it if I'm going to, if I'm going to learn from this process at the moment. So, um, yeah, weird, weird topic for today. Thank you guys. Christina, do you mind if I, I was, I feel Kathy, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I feel inclined to tell you that you were on my mind so much over the weekend. And I thought to myself, Oh, I should just reach out to Kathy and say hi and just, See how you're doing. I mean, I didn't think anybody was in any distress or anything. I just had you on my mind. And I I did exactly what you said I think your friends do is that um we tend to or I tend to think, oh, they've got they're busy, they've got their stuff together. I don't want to be a burden. And I I I'm not regretful, but I am acknowledging that I should have listened to my intuition and just reached out and said hi because i really did have you on my mind this weekend so i just want to take that that moment to tell you that so uh, sorry go ahead christina i was going to say that's a perfect segue into the next and i'll just share this a little bit before we go to ann one of the one of the reactions to disconnection the, the pain is that we become self-protective and when she described this i really really could look back at times that I have done that as well, where the antidote is to connect. You know, we're feeling disconnected. We recognize that we're feeling disconnected. Uh, you know, we're feeling that pain. That courage that it takes 
when we're in self-protective mode because of the pain is phenomenal to connect. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why communities and recoveries succeed because we are aware of the fact that we don't want to connect, you know, and we are given habits of reaching out and showing up and being part of it, especially when we don't feel like doing it. And uh, I just love that um, that researchers, emotional researchers, are really thinking about it. And right now, uh, when we'll get to it, when we start discussing loneliness, you know, the entire world is free falling in disconnection, not to sound dramatic. So uh, I love that for me that I was it was drilled into me, you know, that even though I'm an introvert and I appreciate solitude at a big level, that in order to stay alive, I needed to connect. Um, and Anne, I'd love for you to jump in here with your experience and uh, give us some of your thoughts. Oh, gosh. Um, disconnect. Well, connection is such a primal need, you know, in, in humans. I know for me, when I was active, I, I was, you know, in the, in the clubs and uh, I, I didn't want to be alone. And I was always searching for people who could actually understand me. And still, I could be in a room full of 500 people and feel very lonely if I didn't have somebody that I could talk with, which it was kind of difficult at the time because I didn't really know myself that well. I just wanted, I just wanted to talk and connect. So when I came into recovery, it was like, I, I did not have to be told to come back every day because I finally found myself amongst people who could understand the crazy thoughts and the lonely feelings and the, the obsession and all the things that I was thinking that I, that, that I thought was so unique to me. That's where a lot of the loneliness came. Once I started connecting and felt understood and I understood others and felt that I could be of support and it was okay to let others to support me, that it, it went away a lot of it. Now, fast forward over the years, because I have learned to um, identify, I have learned to better communicate, and I have learned to better listen to myself and, and provide what I need for myself. Um, I am a better communicator. I'll just give you a quick example. I was feeling disconnected from my daughter. You know, I was, you know, stayed in LA to support her because she was going through, you know, major trauma and, and she's, she's doing great. But I felt like, wait, I, um, I'm here because of you and, and we're not getting together as much. I felt disconnected. So I decided to actually have a conversation with her saying that it's okay if she's really busy and all that understood. But without going into more detail about it, the, the thing that is so important to me and I think to all of us is to communicate because that it, it is very painful. 
it's very painful. I felt the pain in my heart that, uh, you know, there are certain things that I wanted to do and be there for. I wanted her to, that, that more, uh, uh, intense connection, if you will, in relationships that we're craving for whatever, whatever that level may be. And, uh, you know, I had, I had to kind of speak up and, and, uh, the result was, the result was good, you know, and the communication was good. So the, the disconnect was taken away. Now I have to follow through with some things to make sure that I'm connecting on, you know, I think connection builds up, you know, it just, you, you may connect, but it takes time and effort to build up. It takes communication. It takes, it takes courage. It takes honesty on my part to say, Hey, I'm hurting. You know, uh, I feel left out. I feel, and you know, to, to describe my feelings is usually the, the most scary thing because it's, it makes me very vulnerable. And, um, so that's, that's what I'm, uh, you know, I'm always striving for that, but there's always an opportunity to, to tap in more and understand better and be more courageous. But the, the payoff is so, it's so good because, you know, it, it can be rejected, you know, anyway. So that's all I have with that because I've been, uh, you know, I was right in the middle of it, just having that conversation with my daughter two days ago, you know, so I've been really thinking about the pain of this connection and uh, what a great room as always, Christine. Oh, congratulations. 25 years. Oh my God. Anyways, can't wait to celebrate on Friday and that's a celebration week. So it's wonderful. And um, I'm going to yield the mic. Thank you. You know, you brought up so, so many good points that are also shared in the book. First, it makes me feel better knowing that even if I know that the problem, the solution of the problem is connecting, that everybody will feel self-protective and not necessarily, you know, do what we should do. Or, you know, I, a lot of times I'll get a phone call from somebody or let's say there's a couple of days that have gone by and, and, and I'm not in a season right now where this is happening a lot, but there were times in my past where I was, where I felt disconnected and rather than doing what, you know, my experience had told me, I started becoming protective and even more withdrawn. And I just love the idea of understanding that that's, that is natural, that is normal, um, that the fear of rejection is huge in everyone. And, you know, she brings up the, our favorite P word, perfectionism, and that there's actually in social data, in social studies, you know, the, the people that, that study this with the high level degrees, there, there's actually a perfectionism social disconnection model. And what I love about that is knowing that it's so prevalent in people that they, they literally have a model described in the data and in the research to explain that and to say, hey, this is a model. So our perfectionism keeps, you know, actually drives behaviors that will cause perceived and actual rejection from others. But the authenticity is a requirement for belonging and authenticity is a requirement for connection. And uh, they move on to insecurity. And I'd love to discuss insecurity because there were a couple of new things that showed up that I hadn't thought of. But uh, before I do that, Julie, thank you for joining. What would you like to share? Hi, thanks for inviting me up to speak. Um, 
Yeah, I've just been thinking this on this topic that right now, um, my oldest brother, who I've been very connected to my whole life, and we, you know, grew up together in a dysfunctional family that just I'm still sorting out a lot of the the um, different things that happen with that. But uh, my brother is an addict, and he's currently in jail right now. Um, but before he was arrested, um, I had deliberately disconnected from him um, in an attempt to like have some boundaries and and detaching with love and just trying to figure that all out. And I honestly have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, I just knew that I needed to choose my family, my husband and my son over the chaos that was surrounding, you know, in in his life all the time. Um, but I'm really deeply missing my connection with him because he's been a very important person to me and always will be. And so that's a real struggle for me um, because I don't really know how to have him in my life in a way that's going to be healthy for me. Um, and I don't know that there's like a real definitive answer to that. And that's really hard, just sitting and not really knowing what the future looks like. Um, so I've been, you know, reaching out to the other people that I've, that I connect with um, to kind of like explain those feelings. And it's tough because a lot of people don't really understand what I'm going through. So I'm really happy to have these rooms and um, be able to learn more about myself and my own needs um, and learn about codependency and my own issues that are around overeating and um, things that have numbed the pain for me over the years too. So um, yeah, it's just really hard to, when disconnecting can be a good thing, um, but a really, really deeply sad thing too. So that's my share. Thanks for listening. And I'm done. Thank you, Julie. That is painful. Um, This, the disease of addiction is, is violent in a family um, and it affects everyone. And I'm really grateful that you brought that up uh, in this, in Recovery Life Discussions, we do discuss a lot about codependency and sometimes, you know, we have to disconnect, um, we have to detach. Uh, and it's good to be able to share it because when, in the past, when I've detached from somebody and disconnected myself, I can lose myself and, and, and struggle with even connecting with myself. And so it's important to talk about it and share. And I, I want to, I'm interested in this next um, thought uh, and my thought partner up here, Deanna, I want to know what you thought about insecurity. Um, and I'll quickly explain what, the way uh, that insecurity was uh, introduced, um, you know, in the book. So we use that word a lot and, you know, they're insecure. I feel insecure. This is what's happening. And we usually attribute it to self-doubt and lack of confidence. However, we can feel insecure and still have healthy self-esteem. And I, I thought this was really, really interesting, and I can't wait to hear what people are, will say about this, but there are three types of 
in security. You know, there's the domain specific, which has to do with resources, right? I'm, I'm food, you know, there are people who have insecurity around food because they literally don't have enough to eat. And they are people who struggle with other resources, safety, financial. And, um, you know, that that is something I don't think of often as using the word insecure until she presented it. You know, the second type of insecurity is relationship or interpersonal um, security. And that occurs when we don't feel like we have a supportive relationship or when we have disconnected with one person and specifically. It can be a particular relationship or it can be, you know, based on relationship patterns. You know, they people who are insecure, um, I think this shows up a lot in codependency. And then there's the general or personal insecurity, which occurs when we um, uh, feel like we have some sort of weakness about ourselves in particular, body image, work performance, those kinds of things. And the opposite of social insecurity, which is what we're discussing about, is self-security. And I thought this was fascinating because I know myself that I've questioned, why do I feel insecure at this moment? Um, you know, what's going on? And, and a lot of times I would blame it on the other people or that I didn't have something. And the answer of self-security, I thought really needed to be kind of discussed because even if you have a high healthy self-esteem, um, which is an assessment of who we are based and compared to our values and goals, you can be incredibly insecure. And the basis of insecurity, and this might be a no duh, but you know, for many people, but it hit me a different way when I listened to it, is you know, the hypercritical um, self-criticism. And so words matter, and it's important to talk about it when we've developed a, a habit of perfectionism. And um, I thought it was like, without the awareness, without that awareness, you know, I could easily blame circumstances or my performance if I don't realize that the key to um, insecurity is my own behavior toward myself. And I want to open it up and see, Deanna, what you thought about that information when it was presented. Did it hit you the same way? Well, this insecurity got me the first two, the domain specific insecurity and the relationship and interpersonal security, insecurity, sorry. Um, I'm like, I've felt these ways. I've had this kind of insecurity in my life throughout my almost 38 years of life. Um, I've had financial insecurity. I know what it feels like to not feel safe. Um, but at this point, so it's nice to be able to recognize those insecurities that I've been able to overcome, I suppose, um, or work on them. But then when I turned the page on this book and I got over to general and personal insecurity, it says it occurs when we are overly critical of our weaknesses. This may include being overly critical. Oh, you already read that, the body image and our performance at work. This hit me. Um, this hit me just like you asked. It hit me because I do think that I have a high self-esteem. But when it comes to self-security, I am the type of person, it's holding me back. Like, I'll just say that it's holding me back in my life because in 
sometimes instead of seeing the opportunity for growth, I just say to myself, I suck at this. I am horrible at this. I should never do this again. Even if it's something that I've been doing my whole life that I am good at, but in a moment of weakness or in a, as I'm growing into something that I think I really want to become, it's hard. There are challenges along the way and my insecurities will bump me back down every time. So talking about this is making me realize that it's okay to be aware of my weaknesses. And I'm going to chuckle as I say this, but one of the weaknesses I believe I have is that I talk too much. So I am trying to reframe talking too much. Sorry, I have a poor connection. See, it's giving me a signal no, that I'm talking you. too no, much. can hear you. <laughs> but I just, with that, I'm trying to reframe that weakness. Um, instead of saying that I'm too much of something, to try to focus a little bit more on what I'm saying, what I want to be saying, what I'm trying to connect with people about. Ooh, that's right there. What I'm trying to connect with people about, to kind of focus more in on that and be more um, impeccable with my words. That is what I am not going to say that I suck at. I'm not going to say that I talk too much. I'm just going to be aware of something I think is my weakness and I'm going to work on that. So I hope that was, no, I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I'm going to pass the mic. What you said reminded me of, or brought to the forefront that the actual cure to insecurity is embracing our weakness um, and recognizing that it has a place, um, you know, versus trying to shove perfectionism down and say, okay, I will feel secure when I'm the best at it, where actually self-security is based on us accepting the things about us that we consider weakness and no longer having them be a secret. Kathy, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I'm thinking of the self-esteem thing. And I think mine, I, I, I have self-esteem but it's fragile, you know. It's like a what is it like? It's like it's like a balloon that's been maybe blown up a little bit too much. It's a stretching. It doesn't take much. It takes up some space, takes up some room, but it wouldn't take much to pop it. Um, that's kind of what I'm mulling on from the conversation um, that, that you guys have been having and Deanna you don't speak too much um so yeah and when my self-esteem is a bit deflated I probably go into self-protection and oh I I I, I know my, my head's a bit jumbled right now so I'll, I'll pass the mic thank you for the imagery that's I know that feeling or at least I know what it feels like for me when um self-esteem is 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 not as solid as there have been times where i've felt it in the past and self-esteem grows right as we continue to get sober and stay sober and stay in recovery and um talking about insecurity i'd love to hear uh what you have done uh, in the past to become more self-secure oh gosh um uh, Deanna, no, you do not talk too much. 
<laughs> when you speak, you you share gems. So it's never too much, my experience. Okay, so actually I've been thinking about that as well lately. I've been in transition, so I'm thinking all about it. And uh, what, I, what I notice is that a lot of times I am looking for somebody on the outside to say, oh, this is really good or whatever. So, and I'm like, where did that come from? Because most of the time, you know, I mean, we know what we're good at. It's just like, what, how does that happen? And what I actually went back to is, um, um, you know, growing up, you know, I was, I was pretty good at a bunch of different things. And, my dad would be, oh, my daughter, the straight A student, or my daughter, she's she sings. Well, you know, he would say that not directly to me, but about me to other people, and I always wanted to hear him say it to me. But anyways, that's a whole different thing. But the way I took it in is that if somebody else recognizes that I'm good at something, that means I'm good at something, and uh, and it's been a hurdle that I had to overcome because I had to start saying, okay, what am I being guided to do? It's what I call my divine assignments, right? When I go into prayer and meditation, what am I being guided to do? What are my gifts? And what I've come to is uh, I get my security from being one with my source because nobody knows me better than, you know, God, my source, my higher power. And when I am comfortable in that, then I show up a lot more powerful. And then um, what other people say or do, yes, it matters, but their perspective may not be what I'm supposed to do, what I'm supposed to think. So that's how I overcome insecurity. I, I acknowledge I, I don't feel comfortable about this. I don't like the way I say, look, do whatever it may be. And then I'm like, okay, what am I going to do about it? And that's that's kind of my process is, uh, you know, just listen and discern what others say and then take action, whatever it may be. It may just be saying, you know what, you're fine. You're in progress. You're doing whatever, whatever it may be. So that's kind of what's been working for me. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is acknowledging that I'm always, always in, uh, in growing. And that means that I will never be perfect. And sometimes I forget that and I, I can be pretty, pretty critical of myself. And so that anyways, that's what I found has worked and uh, I'll yield the mic. I love that. Um, uh, real quick, I just want to remind everybody because some new people have popped in. We are discussing uh, the 10th chapter of Atlas of the Heart, and uh, we are kind of going through some of the emotions and cognitive processes that happen, specifically insecurity right at this moment, and what the real base of insecurity is, which is a lack of acceptance or embracing our weaknesses. And uh, I just love that. I have a, a map, um, Smita and Joe, thanks for coming up. Uh, I would love to see Julie, did you wanna to respond to the question about how, how do you overcome insecurity? Okay, we'll go to Smita. Welcome Smita, am I saying your name right? 
I can hear you. Oh, there we go. <laughs> we saw you on mic. Are you ready, Snita? Okay, she may be. Have... There you go. Do you have something to share with us? Hello. Yes. Yes. Hi, Christina. Then hello, everybody. Um, so, yes, thank you. So this is the way I I rewire my brain, and you know, uh, it's it's like a series of uh, steps uh, that I do to rewire my brain, and I would like to uh, discuss those uh, steps. Uh, Smita, we're talking about insecurity. Do you have anything for that particular conversation? Insecurity. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, whatever I'm speaking now, uh, that will definitely uh, cover, uh, you know, insecurity too. Is that okay? Sure. Sure. We're just going to continue yes. to have the conversation. So, uh, if you want to yes. briefly share with your us with your thoughts, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right so let me let me speak about uh, uh, insecurities uh, first and uh, i think that the power of clarity uh, will not like let you be insecure in anything that you want to do in your life you know uh, without clarity and without having proper determination without having a clear picture without having passion you're definitely going to feel uh, insecure in whatever you're doing on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis so so make sure that you have a burning desire to do whatever you want to do in life and then you are prepared to take the risks that it involves uh, to acquire whatever you want to acquire in life and I do that by speaking to myself a lot you know I talk to myself a lot and that gives me clarity and that clears the insecurities in my life for instance uh, I asked myself that am I sure that you know this is my cup of tea and I'm absolutely okay with accepting if the fact that the, this is not my cup of tea in case it is not you know and am i prepared to continue to do this on a long-term basis also irrespective of the odds that i'm going to face because everything that you do it definitely has some kind of issues or definitely you're going to face some kind of barriers and stuff like that so you got to be sure that irrespective of the odds that you face in life you have the zeal you have the potential to to keep moving ahead with that you know so uh, to state it simple you just got to ask yourself questions you got to talk to yourself a lot you have to be clear about what you want in life what your mission is what your passion is what is your financial plan and you know where your relationships and where your work is headed and then uh, take some time to 
to think over it and replan it if essential you know be flexible uh, with that and most important i feel that it's very crucial that you do not compare yourself with anybody because when you do that you're obviously going to uh, feel insecure you know and uh, you accept yourself with the uh, with the negativity or maybe uh, with you know with the insecurities that you have so you have to tell yourself that it's okay that you. you know i am not Thank these are the things that for for purpose sorry? for time purpose um we have about about yeah, 15 minutes to Joe, to but I, yeah, I yeah, want to so I want to share with you that you did exactly uh, get to the point that was presented earlier, which is we have to accept our weaknesses. So thank you very much for joining the conversation, Joe. Hi. Um, I guess as far as like insecurities, um, I'm an alcoholic, and I have um, in my past life, um, I just have had horrible boundary setting skills and it's uh really blew up in my face a million times <laughs> so um i'm just now you know trying to um work on personal boundaries so i don't put myself in you know harm's way and let things ruin my soul heart and brain um cuz i have a lot of work to do on myself anyway but um but now it's like um I, about 2016, I just shut everything down. I was like, okay, stop trying to do stuff. Try, stop trying. Just, just let's just chill and figure all this out because my life is not working. It hasn't been working and all that. So um, now my insecurity is like, you know, I've kind of got my toolbox set up. I've been learning a lot on Clubhouse and learning how to set boundaries. But now I'm just too in myself and I'm insecure about going back out into the world and um, establishing friendships, definitely romantic relationships. Um, you know, I, I just feel like um, I just uh, get run over really easily. I have a big heart and um I, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's not in my nature. So I have to work really hard at setting boundaries. So I just, it's really, I'm stuck because I'm just, tr I have a lot of insecurity. I don't trust myself basically to make good decisions. Um, I think I've come a long way and I definitely am much better, but I'm just also scared to commit to anything. Cause I'm just like, man, I, you know, it can just easily screw me up and, you know, screw up my sobriety, screw up my head, screw up my heart, you know? So my insecurity lies within myself about, you know, just uh, trusting myself to make the right decisions and make the most educated ones that will not burn me later. So um, anyway, thanks for the share. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. I, I love that you came up and shared it. It takes takes huge amount of courage. And um, I completely to re relate to the feeling of not trusting my own decisions and not being strong in, in what I want. Um, and, you know, for my past, there was there was trauma that needed to be dealt with in order to kind of get to a place where I could be self-secure. So I, I so appreciate your honesty. Many of us are in that same boat and uh, we definitely need to, to talk about boundaries, share them, 
uh, look at them. I mean, it's it's my my life's work. So Meredith, hi, thanks for coming up. Hey there, Christina. Hey, Deanna. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is such a, a good topic. It's not one that I particularly love to talk about. Um, but if there's anything that I've learned in recovery is um, repression of things um, is not good. Um, when I repress things, they get shoved away and tucked away in a corner and get cobwebs on them and they fester. Um, so bringing up the topic of insecurities is a really, um, it, it's a hard topic for me, but it's a really good one. Um, you know, I could relate to Joe shares, not trusting, um, just not trusting yourself. Um, for so long, um, I thought I trusted myself, but I really didn't. Um, and through recovery, um, through lots of different things, really it's, it's recovery and healing. I have learned that I do better trust myself and that owning my insecurities gives them less power over me. If I can name them and acknowledge them and shed light to them, then they don't sit in the dark getting cobwebs and become bigger and fatter. It's like that big piece of meat, that fatty piece of meat that you chew and you just keep chewing and chewing and chewing and the more you chew, the bigger it gets. Um, I don't live my life like that anymore. Um, you know, I have had um, relationship insecurities probably my whole life. I've had the food insecurities from growing up in a traumatic abusive home. Um, I think insecurities are in all of us and it's conversations like these um, bringing them up to the surface and bringing them to light is really the most powerful thing. You know, we can't fix and we can't address anything that we don't acknowledge. And by acknowledging those insecurities, you know, I hate even the word insecurity. It makes me feel weak and icky. Um, but when I can say it and I can acknowledge it, I can, rather than see it as a weakness, I can see it as an opportunity for growth. And I have overcome um, a lot of those insecurities that I have, um, and I work on them all the time. So they're never shoved away in the corner gathering dust, at least not since I've been in recovery for four decades, they were like that, but, um, not anymore. And I think that that is one of the reasons why I feel so much better. Um, you know, some of you know, I've been going through a really traumatic time right now, the loss of my father and my stepfather and my relationship, uh, that was very unexpected you know, it did trigger a lot of insecurities. Um, but at the same time, I'm only a month in and I feel like I'm three years in. Um, and I can tell by having these kinds of conversations and working my program and, you know, not letting these insecurities gather dust inside of me is really what has been the key um, to be able to continue to move forward and look at those insecurities and those weaknesses as, as potential for growth. If there's a growth opportunity there. And for me, I hate feeling like I'm going backwards. I always have to feel like I'm moving forward. I don't care how slow. I just have to feel like I'm moving in a good, positive, orderly direction. And if I can do that, I always feel better. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Christina and Deanna, for this topic. It was, um, it was very good. Thank you. I'll pass the mic back to you. Thank you, Meredith. I want to, um, you know, with our last 10 minutes, talk about uh, the final emotion that she shared um and it, it, the we're going to be skipping invisible even though i think it's really important but loneliness um you brought up such a a great segue into it and loneliness uh is 
perceived or real social isolation um, when we are disconnected. Um, and I hadn't thought about loneliness at, at the level that, uh, that she brought it out in, the room, in her book. But I started to really, you know, after listening to it multiple times, started to really realize that it's a significant health threat. And uh, I shared at the beginning of the room, you know, one of the purposes of this discussion is it's definitely for connection. Um, and she studied and brings forward uh, information from a researcher who has since passed who talks about it. And I'm just going to share a little bit about it because I want to open it up for everyone uh, about the meta-analysis. Um, First of all, we all suffer from them. We don't derive strength from rugged individualism, but rather from our collective ability to plan, communicate, and work together. Our neural, hormonal, and genetic makeup support this interdependence of versus independence. To grow into an adult is not to become autonomous or solitaire. It is become, it's to become one that others depend on. Um, what, the, what she presented was that there was a metadata, which means they analyzed all data around loneliness and different things. And here is one of the biggest indicators of early death. Um, first, uh, they bring up living with air pollution. If you live in, um, in air pollution, you have a 5% increase of death. Uh, obesity, it's 20%. Excessive drinking, it's 30%. But if you live with chronic loneliness, it's 45%. And that just struck me. And I think it's one of the reasons why this community has such a strong uh, following is because, you know, the whole world has just gone through this. And we are still profoundly lonely. And it made me really want to start knowing people and seeing people and start looking at loneliness as not a negative trait. You know, the other information that was brought up was that we use the term loner as negative and dangerous. You know, when we discuss a criminal, it's always they were a loner. Um, and it happens when we get into self-protection mode and we disconnect. And so with that, I, I want to kind of go around the room and just do some final thoughts on loneliness. Deanna. I I love this one. Um, I don't think of myself as a lonely person, but I'm but reading this, I'm finding that I'll just read the, a sentence that I just had my eyes hooked on is that unchecked loneliness fuels continued loneliness by keeping us afraid to reach out. And occasionally, I, I do that when I get in these bouts of loneliness and I can be in a room of people that I'm having a hard time connecting with. Maybe we just have nothing in common. Maybe we're just in very different spaces for the day. But if I just say, sit in that negative space, it's like digging myself deeper into a lonely hole, which for myself that has become um, in the past before COVID, right before COVID became complete isolation. I would. I don't think I would have lived if I did not have a very supportive husband taking care of me. So um, I very much. I, I appreciate the conversation around this, and I would love to hear from everybody else. Go ahead, Kathy. 
Um, I think I make myself lonely sometimes um, because there's a perception and I buy into it as well. So I have self-perception that I'm, I'm strong and I can cope and I can endure and stuff. And what happens when that's tested? And 99%, well, 90% of the time, that's true. Um, but I don't really have a plan B for when it's not working. Um, and this weekend I felt lonely. Um, and I normally, if I feel lonely, I have enough self-awareness to say, okay, time to reach out. I did not have that this weekend, which is the, the whole disconnect we were talking about earlier. Um, and some of it is ego and some kind of, oh, you know, you've got to be able to, to do it, do everything yourself kind of thing. And that, that kind of lone wolf, the myth of the lone wolf, the lone wolf is the one that dies <laughs> before the pack because it doesn't have, uh, you know, and that, that kind of rogue male loner thing, um, self-sufficiency is is often kind of tied up with it and it, it's 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 a myth it's silly it's self-defeating um and sorry to use the word silly if anybody else does it um so yeah but um it's very very important to admit we have a we have a a, a campaign in the uk about the people are t calling it a, you know it's an epidemic of loneliness um and I, I realized a, a few things about myself this weekend. It's like, yeah, I, c I can get as lonely as anyone else. Just because I live on my own and I'm happy on my own most of the time doesn't mean I don't get lonely sometimes. And when that happens, I've got to rely on myself to get out of it. But by relying on myself, I need to connect. Um, that's that's the way out of loneliness. That's the only way out of loneliness. It's a one-way street, um, and I I need to put my ego aside. Whatever whatever the you know whatever the flaws in my character, um, I need to bear that in mind, and I need to get out of that mindset next time that happens. I need you know so um, so yeah. I'll pass the mic. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um... I think what struck me was that to actually become an adult is to be a person that others count on. Um, and I, I love that that she brought this up, that it's actually not that, because I think that was something that I thought, and I think we toss that word around independence, and we don't necessarily, as a society, understand the dangers of loneliness and in our disease, our addiction if you are living in addiction and recovering from it it is deadly and oh gosh um i experience uh loneliness i would say on a regular basis but this is this is how i see it whenever i'm feeling like ooh, something's not like i'm craving something right then it's like okay what am i lonely for and I will, I will tell you that Clubhouse has has been a blessing. Uh, you know, just the recovery rooms has kept me in touch with people in the program. And uh, business-wise, it's been really good business-wise, keeping in touch with people that I can collaborate with. But every now and then, uh, and oh, by the way, I've noticed a lot of people during COVID who 
who are really suffering from loneliness. And I know the reason I did not suffer the way they did is because of Clubhouse. So I want to give credit. But then dig in. It's like, well, okay, so who am I lonely for? Sometimes I'm lonely for my own company. I'm not paying attention to communication with myself. What do I want? What do I feel like doing? I don't pay attention. So sometimes I'm lonely for myself. And then it's like, okay, what else? Like, you know, I brought up my daughter. I need a bit more connection. Now, what has come up is though now I'm, I want to be in a relationship. It's been many years since I've been in a, um, a happy, healthy, intimate relationship. And I'm like, oh, okay. Until recently, I was not lonely for that. Until recently, it did not it did not appeal to me. But now I'm like, hmm, okay. And so with me, that's what I do. I kind of take it apart and say, who am I lonely for? And then see what comes up. And sometimes it's just calling a friend. And, and other times it takes a lot more effort. Like, okay, well, relationship? What does that look like? So anyways, that's, that's how I, that's how I do it. And, uh, you know, the, the, the beautiful one I have to say is that, am I lonely for myself? Cause that can actually just take a split second to just connect again. So, um, I'll yield the mic. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, we're going to go a few minutes over, uh, because I definitely want to hear what Joe and Meredith have to say. And I just want to jump in there and say I agree. The Recovery Life community has been incredibly special for me. And um, I think that the the isolation that happened at the beginning of the pandemic is what jumped, what brought me to a place where I did reach out. And the accessibility to the community has been life-changing. So... Um, for those of you who are in the room and perhaps have not joined the community, um, and I really encourage you to, the link will take you right there. It's completely free. And I've also placed all the notes from the chapters of the work that we've been doing for the last couple of months there. And uh, love to see you there. All you have to do is join and search neuroscience and you will come right to my posts. Joe, thank you for coming up. Um, any thoughts on loneliness? Hi, yeah. Um, well, I wish I would have known of Clubhouse during um, the pandemic. That would have been cool. Um, I, loneliness, um, when I was um, very, when I was um, drinking a lot and I was in the midst of the worst of it as of recently, um, you know, I, I would get extremely lonely. Uh, you know, usually I would drink alone, but everything just kind of escalated and I didn't want to be alone. And, you know, that uh, that all didn't turn out very well. Now, once I've gotten, um, I've been sober and I'm on Clubhouse a lot more, I love being alone. Um, I actually... I've been trying to find peace within myself for a very long time because I do like being alone um, for the most part. And I know I do need some, uh, I mean, really I'll play music with other people and, or I'll go to a show and that's all I really need. I can, I can do a little bit and feed off that for a long time, but the majority of myself I'm by myself. And for the first time, you know, since I've really been sober for longer periods of time, I, I don't get as lonely. I, I'm like, I, lo I, I really enjoy being alone. I feel peace. I feel, um, 
And that's something I never feel. So I don't know. I'm still, I'm trying, I'm, I'm figuring it all out, but right now I do not feel lonely and I'm just so happy to feel peace. And, um, I'll sprinkle in some, some, um, uh, hangouts with healthy people and healthy situations here and there, but, you know, being pretty cautious about it because I am going to hold on to my peace and, and, um, go with it. So, uh, that's what I have. Thank you. Thank you. You highlighted beautifully what it feels like to, I mean, for me, learn to love my own company um, and learn to be self-secure, which is something we discussed and belonging to myself. Um, that is, that is the good stuff in recovery. Absolutely. Meredith, any final thoughts on loneliness? Yeah. Um, I have a couple. Um, being alone and being lonely to me are two different things. Um, for so many years, I was very lonely and I was lonely for my own, um, for my own self, my own company, um, because I didn't belong to myself. I belonged to everybody else, um, in theory, when I was in the depths of my codependency, um, I always felt a hole and a void. And that void was that loneliness and that disconnection from self. I used to hate to be alone and I hated to be lonely. So it was both one, one equaled the other. If I was alone, then I was automatically lonely. Um, and today that's not like that. Um, today I love my own company. I enjoy being alone. I, I love being alone a lot of times. Now there is, for me, it's a balance. I have to have the balance of connection and alone time. Um, I haven't been lonely in a while. Um, I spent decades there. Um, but it's been a while since I've truly felt lonely. And for me, the key to not being lonely is having that connection with my higher power and having that connection with self. And when I can keep those two connections aligned, my loneliness does not pop up. Um, there was one, some, there was something in the reading that you said, I think it was, what did you say? Rugged individualism. I can't remember what that was. Yes. Yes. That, that, that one. Being yeah. That was, it's not that. Yeah, that that rugged individualism, um, that one got me. Um, and I think that for a long time, because I didn't know who I was. So I had to be what everybody else wanted me to be so I could feel love and feel safe and feel accepted. Um, today, I don't live my life like that. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, I love what Ann said also about asking your the question, who are you lonely for? Or what are you lonely for? And if you can become aware of what your loneliness comes from and where it is, you know, awareness is the first key to action. So I, if I can do that, then I can take the proper steps to make that loneliness subside. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'll pass it back to you, Christina. This has been a beautiful room. Thank you. Yes. Thank you to everyone. Just a quick commercial for tomorrow's room, setting healthy boundaries. Same time, same recovered life discussion. Uh, we are going to discuss motherhood and uh, the thorny codependent relationships that addicts often have with their mothers or the complete disconnection, knowing that, that that holiday does not mean the same thing to everyone. And I just wanna thank everybody for coming and sharing their truth, their experience, their hope. Deanna, as always, thank you for co-modding Next week, we will move on to the next chapter. And um, again, if you have any 
if you are feeling profound loneliness or need to connect, please slide into the DMs and reach out to me. Um, we do recover together in Recovered Life Community, and you are worthy of connection. Um, and with that, I'm going to just ask everybody, unless Deanna, you want to shut down the room for us? I just wanted to say thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, Christina, thank you for hosting this room. You always do such an amazing job. Everyone here, I think, already is connected with Christina, but if you are not, you should follow her, find her. She does amazing coaching and codependency. I didn't even know it was a thing um, <laughs> like in my life until I met Christina. So uh, thank you so much for this room. And also, happy 25 years to Christina coming up on Friday. 25 years of sobriety. She Thanks. is such an inspiration. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.